Hey guys, what's up? Um, it's Jeremy here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 66. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, 25% buy less bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined, of course, by my faithful co-host, Jim Casali. If you want to go ahead and say hi. How's it going? Travis decided to abandon us this week and go get his shoe shined or something, something to do with all the new shoes he's buying. And Ed is currently still trying to make it back to his house to get on the cast in time as he just flew back from vacation over in the UK. Uh, so we're going to see how long it takes uh, him to uh, to get back and get on the cast because it is Ed. And um, if Jim keeps clicking his computer, I think I'm going to throw my microphone through my screen. Anyway, there's some things that we should talk about before Ed comes on that Travis would probably not want to talk about anyway on this cast. And that is the rise in old school magic. Now, if you're somebody who looks at uh, MDG stocks on the interest page, You'll notice that the old school cards have been skyrocketing through the roof in terms of percentages. However, the supply on a lot of these cards is not that high to begin with. And I honestly thought it was a fad. Over the weekend, we had a modern Win a Black Lotus tournament. We had a lot of big spenders come in and they cleared every single old school card I had on the shelf besides like some Italian stuff, as well as uh, making me run back to where I stored some of the older Arabian Nights cards to go and get them as part of either compensation or trading into them. Um, so at least locally, anecdotally, old school seems real. Now, Jim, how do you feel about old school? Do you think it's a trap, or do you think that it's just a bunch of guys reliving nostalgia and that the format doesn't impact prices that much? I mean, it definitely impacts prices because just the cards don't really exist. And... Even if you get a couple people to buy into it, they, there's just not enough supply to really uh, satisfy the amount of people that want those cards. Now, personally, I have never seen anyone play the format, so it still remains a mystery whether or not it actually exists. But it definitely causes prices to move, for better or for worse, because the cards are just so hard to find. And also anecdotally, with Eternal Weekend coming up and Gen Con this weekend, there's a lot of demand for power that people are wanting to get into the format. So you start to see a rise in power prices leading up to both Eternal Weekend and Gen Con as people try to finish off their uh, decks to play in these vintage or old school Magic events. Um, it, it seems like the last couple of years, prices go up for these events and then they go back down, not quite back to what the lows were before this, but... It, it helps fuel demand because these players pick up cards and each year more of them hold on, it seems like, than sell out of these cards. Otherwise, the market would, could necessarily crash. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on as far as if you're sitting on mock sapphires or something like that. The spread is insanely low on them right now. You have vendors paying um, $1,000 for a played mock sapphire, reselling it for 1100 and that's a very tight spread, and it's just something to watch out for. I mean, that's just going to be the case with everything on the reserve list. Any card that's super old that they're just not printing more of because it's on the reserve list is eventually going to get to the point where it's exorbitantly expensive because each each year there are no more additional copies entering the market. Like There's just not any more than existed previously. However, there are sometimes less because you know cards get damaged, cards get ruined, they get stolen, whatever. Like... 
over time, there will just be less of them available. And unless the amount of people that want them goes down, you're just never going to see a decrease in the price. Yeah, that's just a good point to uh, to bring up. Now, obviously, there are some reservist cards with giant spreads, and these are generally the bulkers or $2 cards that uh, some people are just picking up as penny stocks. These probably won't see any real demand, and as a result, a lot of financiers are the ones just sitting on them overall. We're talking about stuff like Narwhal, uh, the shark thing from the dark, Coastkin Falls. All these cards are never going to see play anywhere uh, that I can – uh, imaginably think of, but it's just something to keep an eye on. If you see a reserve list card in a collection, you go, you know what, this is like a dollar. Why would I get rid of it? I'm just going to sit on it until I sell it out of the game. And that's the mindset a lot of uh, finance people have is I'm not going to lose money on this card. So I'm just going to sit on it forever. Uh, so it's just something to keep in mind. Jim, do you want to go ahead with the question of the week? Sure. This week, our winner is uh, of our $25 Cool Stuff gift card is Nathaniel Klein, who asks, Hey, guys, what cards do you think are on the verge of reprint in C17 but won't quite make it? For example, I picked up a Pure Steel Paladin, but I might have remorse. Um, obviously, I think this question was asked to us uh, before the final spoiler came out. So uh, it's a little dodgy to answer the first part because obviously we know everything that has been reprinted. But it's really, uh, with, with every commander set, I, I don't think that you necessarily need to buy into the card that you might, that might get reprinted right away. Uh, commander players are pretty slow, I think, on the uptake, so they probably won't start buying cards for their decks for another week or two, wait for the decks to come out, they'll play with them as pre-cons for a week, and then they'll start buying new cards for the deck. So you have some, some time to wait and to think about it and, and wait to see if it gets reprinted or not. Like there are a couple of cards that I waited for specifically because they could be reprinted, but they're probably not going to get reprinted. And then when they weren't reprinted, I just bought them right away. So um, personally in the future, if you're worried about like a card is going to get reprinted in the near future, just wait, see what's in the spoiler. Um, especially if you're worried about commander cards, because those players are not as competitive and they're not as, quick to jump on stuff that didn't get reprinted. I'm pretty fucking tired of the people that are just buying out every card. Just like going way too ham even before the spoilers all came out. Uh, this weekend at one of our tournaments, like two people bought me out of uh, like 20 copies of Laboratory Maniac and they're like, oh, this will move. And it's like, yeah, but... What does it have to get to to uh, make it worth your while? You know, if this card goes from $3 to $5, you're not really making any money after time, fees, and a stamp. You know, like, it's not until this card hits, like, $7 or above, or it's, and you're, even then you're still making less than a minimum wage. I just don't think that uh, this is a good card to target. Um, something that also a player bought me all out of was um, that uh, Wizards uh, Tower Rare Land from... Uh, Riptide Laboratory, I want to say, from Onslaught. Yep, yeah, they bought me out at like ten or fifteen dollars, and you know when you're buying a, a uh, one of these cards at ten or fifteen dollars, how high does this card have to go for you to break even? Um, I think this is just a greater fool's theory. I mean, sure, there's going to be some EDH players where this is a must-have, but if you're looking to flip these cards, I don't think this gets to twenty-five dollars. So before it gets reprinted. Um, 
I just don't think there's any room unless you have a shop or a shelf or you're trading it out at mid. Like I don't think there's any room for you to make money. So it's just something to keep in mind when speculating on commander sets. I agree. Some people, like when the uh, dragon cards got spoiled very early on by an anonymous source, people were buying out uh, Zerlin of the Claw, and that guy's just not good in any kind of five color commander deck because of what, what he costs, and he's just not even that com- he's not even that popular as a commander at all. So pretty much that card has fallen almost back down to its original price before it got bought out, and. Everybody lost money on it unless you just didn't sell them yet, and then you haven't realized those losses. But realistically, you're not going to make any money off of it, and you took all the risk for no reason. So thank you for the question, Nathan. As always, you can message us, message us on Facebook or Twitter uh, to claim your $25 gift card. And as always, if you guys want to leave a comment on Gathering Magic when this goes up tomorrow, we'll choose a random question of the week talk about it on the cast and we'll be happy to send you guys over a $25 gift, dollar gift card to coolstuffinc.com. Now, Ed, since you decided to hop on the cast late as usual, how is your Brexit from the GP? Oh, I just got back from the UK. I'm exhausted. We flew, we had to go, we had to leave pretty early in the morning to catch our flight. And then I flew back to New York city and then I had to drive like another three hours to Catskill. So sleeping all night last night so i'm pretty tired but i'm back kind of is there anything that you want to talk about as far as your vacation on any trends you notice for the uk scene versus um uh the american magic scene where like you have these mkm sellers that are over there or the relative strength of the pound versus the dollar wow that was quite the question um so the first thing is, uh, for everyone who wants to kind of look at something outside of Magic, uh, Forex or Foreign Exchange is kind of a, a trendy thing. It's probably one of the highest variance uh, thing, as it were. Um, go deep. Like, you can, you can stand to make a lot of money uh, exchanging foreign currencies. The only problem is that, one, it's very, very volatile, and two, you have to be super super on top of the times like and who is pretty deep into doing it he literally spends his entire day just reading every single like newspaper he's he's up like up to date on like literally every world trend in every country um but like he does very well with it because you're like you're trading just you're trading currencies so often like a lot of times you're hedging your bets I think that because the, the way that brexit has been trending and, and kind of the uncertainty of how uh the uh, politics of the UK, how that affects EU, how that affects everyone else, mainly because the GBP is one of the four primary currencies. Well, one of those, like the four strongest currencies in the world between the US dollar, uh, Great British pound, Japanese yen, and uh, the euro. Um, he like he seems to think that getting into the British pound, he's, if it continues to fall as it has been trending, it's not a bad idea to get into it. Actual trends related to magic itself. Uh, the things that, while well, not going to like any specific details, since I was obviously on vacation, um, the thing, the trends that you want to notice is the UK is an island. Um, anytime we have one of these like relatively isolated, you have kind of its own economy. Um, and the biggest thing is because like UK is like definitely not part of the EU now. Like it wasn't really part of the EU before. Um, the UK is relatively divorced from MKM. 
it's very, very hard for most UK sellers to buy from MKM, uh, mainly because the euro is so strong against the pound. Spending their pounds buying from MKM, they're basically paying a premium on top due to foreign exchange. And because it's not part of the EU, they're actually paying a premium on post as well. Um, so for the most part, the UK, it's, it contained all cards like from the UK uh, are like within the UK already. So it's just like the Facebook groups where people are buying and selling to each other. Uh, Magic Madhouse, uh, shout out to those guys. Hung out with them all weekend. Pretty cool group of guys. Um, Star City of uh, the UK. And if you go on their website and you check out cards, you can see like you can see how prevalent the shortage issue is. Like for cards that standard cards are very very high demand. Cards like Shadow Torture Defiance, Torrential Gear Hulk, like. There's very, very good arbitrage opportunities if you're willing to take advantage of it, mainly because, again, there's such a huge shortage. A lot of those cards are just monstrously more expensive compared to they are here, mainly because they don't have the same player base and the same saturation of stores to kind of flood the market and keep the price down. So it's actually interesting that you mentioned arbitrage because we actually had two listeners ask us exactly what, what arbitrage is. Um, they basically just said, what is arbitrage? Um since we apparently can't Google that for them, would you like to just quickly explain what arbitrage is? Yeah, it's, it's basically at its like most simple form. It's you're hedging two markets against each other, basically. So in cases like what the most uh, commonly cited example is for Japan, their cards are very, very prominent in Japan and they are less so here. So, um, so, uh, so for the longest time, a lot of the big vendors, uh, I won't name them, but you you can go and do a little research yourself. Uh, They're basically buying cards here and then sending them to Japan and reselling them there simply because the retail here, they had very, very high buy numbers. Here, what we were selling them for was lower than what people in Japan were paying for them. So by moving by moving cards from here to Japan, they're basically able to make profit. They're able to make a profit on cards that they otherwise wouldn't have been able, able to make. And one of the things that's important in arbitrage, which leads into our next discussion, is card condition. Japanese played is very different than American played, and Japanese near mint is very different than American near mint. Uh, Jim, do you want to discuss exactly how to sort of grade a card and why it matters so much when you're selling cards on a market? I mean, it really, you really should just be using whatever. Uh, Standards are set by whatever market you're using. So, for example, if you're selling on TCG Player, go look up the the grading guide for TCG Player, and it'll tell you what is acceptable for near mint, what is acceptable for light play, what is acceptable for moderate play, and what's damage. And kind of try to keep that in mind when you're grading your cards, because people get very upset when uh, the card is not what they expected it to be. It is not in the condition that they expected it to be. Uh, so, for example, uh, Japanese players are much more stringent with their card rating, and things that could pass for near mint in the United States are really not near mint in Japan. They prefer their cards to be actual mint, which is much more difficult to find. Um, like cards that you've played with at all in tournaments are unlikely to be quite quite mint afterwards. Whereas they might still pass for near mint, and you won't be able to buy list them to a local store for. A similar amount of money. Anything that you want to add on to that, Ed? No, I think like again, it's you kind of have to like be aware of your market. For anyone who is looking to 
maybe move into TCG player, uh, kind of start, you know, start selling some of your access on TCG player or whatever. Um, all the conditions, like a lot of things that people, like people have kind of some misconceptions about like how grading should be done, what it's like. Um, a lot of it is common sense, but again, it varies from market to market. Uh, TCG player, for example, damaged is for me personally, like when I sell Facebook or my list cards, um, it's anything that has structural damage to it. Like there's a crease on the card, corners are bent. Um, uh, a card that was black border is now white bordered. Uh, further, uh, for one reason, you actually can't sell signed cards on TCG players that they actually consider any sort of ink on the card self damage. Uh, obviously, for most of us, we would like we wouldn't consider signed cards to be damaged, but it just prevents you from listing signed cards on TCG player for that reason. Um, so it's just a lot. Again, a lot of common sense. You just want to make sure you like you're following the guidelines for whatever you want to use. Like for Star City's buy list, if you send cards to them, it's a little bit different. Uh, cards for TCG players a little bit different. You just have to kind of be aware of the audience that you're trying to attract with whatever you're selling. And I'm going to add two points on there. Channel Fireball considers cards that are signed lightly played. If I remember correctly. So that if you order a lightly played card off of Channel Fireball, it can be signed. Um, another thing where you can actually make a killing if you're in a position of buying is on heavily played cards. If especially if it's an EDH card that's worth like ten to twenty dollars, uh, you can buy a HP Cabal Coffers for like four dollars and then sell it to another EDH player for ten, which is half off because it has like a crease in it or the backs like completely destroyed or something like that. Uh, this is also very important when it comes to barely sleeve playable power, as I have found out after flipping this Lotus again. Uh, barely sleeve playable power is something that a lot of players will look at because if someone buys a Lotus off me for 2500 instead of 3000 that off that opens up a lot of room for them to buy a Time Vault or two Underground Seas or something like that. So for players who are budget conscious when spending thousands of dollars on a piece of cardboard, uh, that's something that you can also take advantage of. In fact, in my opinion, for the EDH players at the places I help out, uh, heavily played cards move faster for me than foreign language cards because the players want to know what they're doing. They don't, they don't like looking at Japanese or German cards, from my experience. Um, but again, this is all anecdotal and it varies state to state. For example, we have a ton of trading where we are, but as I've been constantly told and reminded by our listeners, the East Coast is not like that at all. It varies region by region, I guess. And that's something that you also have to keep an eye out for as well as uh, the card grading. So that's just uh, something I would keep an eye out for. On top of that, of course, we have standard rotation coming up soon um are you guys happy about the standard rotation do you think that prices are going to move at all or do you think that standard is basically dead right now and that even rotation won't save it i mean standard looks pretty good for my eyes like a lot of people seem pretty happy with the deck choices that you have it's a health it's a healthy format yeah some decks are performing a little bit better than others but realistically you could play pretty much whatever pile of 60 cards you want be reasonably successful. Um, so I think that's pretty good right now. I think it's in a good place. I think that the rotation is going to break up some of the bigger decks, but we might see a lot of the same stuff after rotation, which could be bad because a lot of those decks that are that are viable and good now are also decks that are contained within a single block. Like all the energy synergies, like the teamer energy deck is pretty much all in the same block. So 
Um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with Ixalan being released. We'll see. Um, I wish that this rotation had happened sooner, but obviously that wasn't the case, and it won't be in the future. We're going back to the two, the, the once-a-year rotation. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I think Standard's in a good spot now. We'll have to see what Ixalan brings and whether or not it continues to let the format evolve or something truly oppressive becomes popular. Yeah, I think, like, uh, I think the most awkward thing about, like, Standard right now, I think, like, Jim kind of touched on it, but to kind of expand, like, we're kind of at, like, the, probably, like, the lowest point for Magic, like, throughout the course of the year, if you kind of look at, like, trends from Hasbro, uh, fiscal reports or whatever, like, it, they, they consistently, like, say summer is just, like, the worst months for Magic, people are on vacation, people are doing, people are quite literally doing anything other than buying Magic cards and playing Magic. Um, you can see, like, GP turn, uh, attendance is generally down during the summer months as well. Um, so, like, I, I think on top of that, standard at this point is more stale than it will ever be, mainly because you have, like, you know, you have sets that have been here for so long, you see a lot of the same recycled strategies, um, or, you know, some variations have existed for a very long time. They still kind of play out, and I think that kind of gets old to people. Um, are still legal in standard is pretty crazy. Um so, like, I, I think all that together kind of contributes to a massive dip in prices, uh, which I'll kind of talk about in, like, my pick of the week because I have, like, a few good ones that I'm not really sure which I'm going to pick yet. Um, like, I, any, anyone who's looking to buy cards from Kaladesh uh, block and Amoncat block, like, this is more or less your time to do it. Uh, there's a lot of potential, like, specs out there because we're, we're operating under the on will shake up the format one because standard goes from having uh eight sets into it down to five sets uh two big blocks uh two big sets rotate out um and those are like two pretty good ones they've kind of operated as like a core for uh for standard for a long time like gideon's gone they'll draw zero gone uh shadows is basically removing like the black delirium mechanic that has kind of been on the since eldritch moon came out um so anyone looking to like get into like kind of like tapping into speculation, kind of experimenting, there's just a lot of opportunity. If you're looking to get into standard for cheap, uh, buying up those cards now is not the best idea. That way you can kind of save up a little bit more for Ixalan. That way you're not paying the premium prices when like Pro Tour Ixalan comes out and you have like new breakout decks that are involving some of the, which may or may not involve some of the strategies, but a lot of the cards now are so cheap that it's not a bad idea to just buy it now and kind of get out of the way so you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, I really agree with Ed here. A lot of these cards, especially from Kaladesh itself, are just completely dead in the water. And paying like ten cents on Smuggler's Copter on a on a a bulk rare spec where it might get unbanned, or uh, looking at stuff like Metalwork Colossus, which has proven itself as a deck. There's just so much money to be made if the format gets shaken up. That uh, it's a very good place to be at. That is assuming, of course, that uh, standard is healthy enough in your local area where you can profit from this, or if you're already set up on TCG Player in order to sell. Um, but I do think that uh, for the first time in two years, basically at this point, there's going to be a good amount of money to be made in standard, even with the amount of product that's out there. So to to really just like hammer this point home, I know we've seen, unfortunately, some of the Ixalan spoilers uh, because the rare sheet in some capacity got spoiled. And we know that we're about to get another uh, allied colored land cycle. 
So at the very least, some some amount of of change is going to happen. Some amount of churn is going to happen because so many dual lands are leaving the standard, and there's not very many coming back to replace them. So some color combinations are just not really viable anymore. Like you can't play these enemy color decks as much without the uh, coming to play tapped um, main lands to facilitate that kind of a mana base. Yep, good point. Do you guys want a uh, MTG Finance viewer question next, or do you want a personal viewer question next? What do, what do you want? Because we got a lot of questions this week. I don't know, man. Pick one. Ed, what do you want? Uh, let's, uh, let's do a finance one. No personal. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that... No, Ed, they wanted to know what color boxers. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right, here. So we have a question from Grant Kleppinger. Uh, he says, thank you all for your work. I really enjoy your cast. Recently, I have been looking through Card Kingdom's buy list and noticed I owned a lot of cards that buy lists on their site for five cents to dimes, primarily Kamigawa, Time Spiral, Lorwyn, and Shadowmore. I own approximately 20,000 commons and uncommons in near mint and make condition from this time period, and I have gone through and picked out the higher end commons and uncommons, the 2 to $3 buy list ones, like uh, Manamorphose, that sort of stuff. Question, in each of your opinions, is it worth it to buy less cards of this value? After factoring in shipping costs, I imagine it would be difficult to make this worthwhile. However, I have heard Doug mention on prior casts, buy listing cards in this price range can be worthwhile. I live in a rural area and have never traveled to a Grand Prix. Are these types of cards I would be better off bringing to a Grand Prix and selling and trading at once to a vendor? The cards are not sorted with the exception to sorted by set. I am a registered nurse, and time is my most valuable asset. My goal would be to use the value to trade towards higher-end cards. I never plan on using these bulk cards and would like to move them. What would each of you recommend doing? Thank you for your advice. Uh, so I think the key point that you, like that more or less sums up this question all at once is you're a registered nurse, your time is valuable. Um, for the people that aren't the case, like it's worth going through and picking all of it. Um, Honestly, like, I, if you ever have a day off, like, I think, like, Travis kind of had a similar dilemma before Vegas. Uh, he basically was saying, like, he has all these cards. He knows they're not worthless, but he doesn't have the time, and I'm assuming you're in the same boat, to, like, go through and, like, look up the price and list and, and ship out each individual card. Um, just, like, just kind of group it together, and if you ever have a chance to go to a Grand Prix, one comes by near you or whatever, just ship it off to a buy list. It's so much faster. It's so much easier. Um like you don't need to grind out every value, uh, especially I assume someone who values their time, they probably aren't hard pressed for money. So it just, it just makes it much easier. Like, you know, I, there's so many things where my threshold of the, for, for me personally of cards that I'm willing to deal with, just go up a little bit more and more. But whereas at the store where we have basically all the time in the world and we just have infinite things to kind of process and sort, like I'm, like I'm willing to go through and like put like one, two, three set cards online but for again, for me personally, because I don't have the time to deal with the, that stuff, I like anything that comes through, I just like ship it off to buy list because I I don't have the time to like process like five dollar orders that um like a lot of smaller TCG players uh sellers do mainly because I value my time. I have other things to do, trying to get five cents on a one cent card or whatever. Like I I just don't have time to deal with that. So, but again, it's your mileage may vary. If you you value your time, ship it off to buy list. It's the cleanest, easiest solution but you do have to realize that you are going to take a hit for it. Jim? 
I pretty much agree with everything that Ed said. I don't really have more to add there. Uh, the only thing that I could think of that would be different is if you have a significant other, but you're a magic player, so probably not. Uh, help them, Have them help you sort cards uh, like Doug does. It's very lucrative to have a wife in Doug's occasion that sorts for coffee. Uh, perhaps you could make it a romantic date night where both of you sort magic cards. I'm absolutely kidding, by the way. Um, one of the things I've found helpful, especially if stuff is already sorted by set, Say you have like 15 minutes where you would have watched like a stupid YouTube video or something. You can sort those cards alphabetically while you're watching this video on your desk on in front of your uh, monitor. It's just like 15 minutes once per day really adds up over the course of a month, especially if you know there's a Grand Prix coming on the way. So that's the only thing I would recommend. Other than that, yeah, buy listing is great. A lot of shops such as our sponsors, Cool Stuff, Shameless Plug, buy bulk from certain sets back for more than what they would normally buy regular standard bulk at. So they'll say like morning tide bulk and back, we pay $15 per thousand on. But what you do is you go to them, they pick through all your bulk. Um, they pull out all the stuff that they would normally buy and then they buy your bulk at more and they'll probably take it because that type of bulk is worth flying back versus 3000 copies of uh, of uh, like asylum, whatever from shadows over Innistrad. It's just not worth it for most of the shops. Um, unfortunately, a lot of vendors for price and, uh, space constraints will just like not take bulkers or quarters as I've found, uh, many times trying to sell Ed all my stacks of Urza's mines and towers. It's just not worth their time. They want to play with the, the big cards that are easy to move. So it's just, uh, it's just interesting. Um, but yeah, that was a very good question. And if all, if you want to write in another well-enunciated viewer question like that in the future, we'd be happy to answer it. That was obviously over a paragraph long, but that was basically a quintessential MTG finance question that pretty much everyone should understand is what is my time worth? And if I don't have time, why am I still sitting on it? Uh, unless it's like a reserve list card. But if it's bulk and it's taking up space and you know your girlfriend's getting mad at you or something like that, because I've had a bunch of collections like that, yeah, it might be worth the mental um, the mental fortitude to just uh, get it out of your house and take those uh, dollars. For the next question, let's see here. Joseph Gal Gagliardi asks, I hear talk about a lot of different buy lists, but TCG never seems to come up. Logically, by virtue of the number of sellers in price-based competition, using their buy list makes sense if you want the most bang for your buck. Why is it that nobody seems to talk about this? What have been your experiences using the TCG player buy list? Thanks, guys. I've never used it. The, in my opinion, and Ed's probably going to be better at this than me, from what I am aware, sellers have to pay a percentage of the buy list to TCG player to utilize their service. And that is what I am under the impression of, but I could be wrong. So it's just more profitable to go through their buy list on their own website rather than uh, have TCG take a chunk. Ed, am I wrong on this or is it something else? Uh, Jim, do you have any experience with the TCG player buy list or am I kind of the one that has to tackle this question like every other question we have? That, that's, oh. not, that's not always true and I've also never buy listed anything on TCG player. Uh, I am lucky enough that CoolStuffInc.com is my local game store so if I have anything to buy list I can literally walk it down the street and I don't have to worry about waiting. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> yeah, man. I like my LGS. Sorry. Okay. Um... 
So uh, I'll, I'll kind of answer this question. Um, I'll kind of keep the buyer side since uh, Corbin's Game Store, um, like we do use the T-shirt player buy list. I'll kind of give the buyer side. I won't go into too like big of a details about it, mainly because most of you don't care, mainly because I assume most of you are just not direct stores that have that use the T-shirt player buy list. But for my side, any card we put up a buy list offer on TCG Player, we either pay we either pay ten percent, flat ten percent per each card that we buy, or a ten cent minimum. So if we're paying, if we buy a card at five dollars, then you get five dollars, and then we pay five fifty to get it. Mainly because you send a card to TCG Player, they verify the condition, they'll send you the five dollars, and then once the store who is who has a buy list set up, once they get enough cards, then we get like then we get all the cards at once in mail rather than each individual card uh, having been sent to us. The only pr problem with their uh, with their terms is that when you because you have to pay a ten cent minimum, it makes it really, really, really bad to buy cards under because if you're paying one cent on a card, you're not paying eleven cents. You're paying ninety cents on a card, you're now paying a dollar. Um, so so bulk repairs, you basically have to buy one cent because if you're selling like ten cents, you're losing one cent per car that you're buying it. If you're paying like five cents, all you're not losing five cents. Um, the stores that have it set up, for the most part, it doesn't seem to be very, very well maintained, mainly because TG Player requires you to set up a quantity that you want to buy and the price that you buy it at. Um, personally, for me, it's it's like pretty hard to stay on top of it. That's like actually one of the tasks I have to like get done. Um, Mainly because if someone up if someone's price goes above you, let's say I want to buy a card at five dollars, and then someone else goes in and puts at five dollars and one cent, and they're willing to buy fifty copies of it, I will never see a card on buy list until those fifty copies have been fulfilled through TG Player's buy list, and then it will look at the next number and oh, they see that someone else is willing to buy five, uh, pay five dollars on this card, and I'm only and I'm willing to buy however many copies, then I'll start getting copies. But until the five hundred one requirement is met, I'm just never going to see that card. Um, so that's from the buyer side. There's like some interesting issues with it. It's one of those things where I still have to play around with it. I haven't fully kind of gone the hang of it yet. Uh, it's kind of an interesting animal. Um, it's a good way to supplement, kind of keep a steady flow of cards, mainly because for people who do live in rural areas who have no good local game store, it's a very, very good option. Um, I will say that myself personally, I have sent cards to teach you per buy list. The only difference between myself and a lot of other people is that because I live in Catskill, it's a one-day turnaround for me to send cards from where I am to uh, the TG Player Warehouse in Syracuse, New York. People have had issues where the buy list price is no longer being honored because the package they send out for when they uh, set up the buy list to actually send it to TG Player, if, they, if, if, if TG Player doesn't receive it within a certain amount of time, they actually no longer honor buy list price. And I know that's been a source of frustration for a lot of people, especially for people who are further away. Uh, because Syracuse itself, uh, postage comes from U USPS through Rochester, and usually from Rochester, it has to come from New Jersey, which is one to two day turnaround time in itself. You are trying to get your package to New Jersey may take one or two days, which is already kind of pushing the uh, the time for a T-shirt player buy list. Um, you do if you're willing to kind of uh, look around uh, for the most part buying standard trying to buy the standard card is not great on there uh, mainly because like the margins are super small it's it's hard it's hard for uh, the TCG player uh, TCG, TCG player sellers to be buy listing cards at very high prices mainly because the 10% on top makes it pretty rough 
Um, usually most of the standard cards, you're better off going to a Grand Prix um, or your local game store that has or just through Facebook or something. Mainly because, you know, there will be people who pay better than the rate that we offer on uh, this YouTube curve buy list. Uh, mainly, again, because the 10% actually is a, a fairly significant amount. Like foils, people are willing to put foils. Masterpieces, I've definitely gotten pretty good offers on masterpieces as well. Um, those are types of things that it's worth your time to kind of take a peek at it. Do in large quantities, mainly because there are plenty of sellers who will only buy like one or two copies of a card. So if you have a playset, then you're kind of in an awkward position of two and then maybe having to take a lower buy price on two of them. Um, it's one of those your mileage may vary type things. So it, But it is worth experimenting, especially for people who don't have like readily available access to a good buy list near them. And I got one more softball question for this week. David Moore asks, question, I've been trying to buy into modern stuff lately and wanted to ask about a local shop. I know some of their prices are not updated and some cards are less than in near mint condition. Is it a reasonable thing to haggle with them on updating the price or lowering the price for cards in less than near mint condition? Personally, I it, it really depends on how the store operates. If they don't update their prices very often at all, then maybe you have the option to ask them for a decrease or ask them to update the price. But if they're the kind of store that, like, it depends on really how long it's been, too. Like, if it's not been a significant amount of time, like, if something spiked over the weekend and it's Tuesday and they haven't updated the price yet, I'm not sure that they're very willing to, well, I guess if it's spiked, that's not really the direction that you're complaining about. Um but like I don't know, like it, it's it's hard to it's hard to haggle with a store. It really depends on how the management runs it. Um, definitely ask you, you you could ask for whatever you want. Like that's definitely a thing that you can do, and that's probably something I would try. But you have to be reasonable, otherwise they're just gonna blow you off. Like if they're asking for twenty dollars on a card, you can't offer them like eight. That's just not reasonable unless it's like truly destroyed. Like maybe you can offer them like. 15 and see what happens but i don't know it's, it's hard to it's hard to get people that don't that are not on top of their prices to lower them in my experience yeah i think i think that's kind of the point any good store that does have someone who updates their prices regularly is probably more willing to haggle but in the same time they're probably less willing to haggle because if the prices are already correct there might not be a ton of room for them to negotiate if they don't upgrade, update price very often, that just means they're not on top of magic cards, which means they probably might not care to take the lower price. So it's kind of a weird catch-22 with a lot of vendors at Grand Prix. Um, like, and as a vendor myself, I tend to like be more open if people are willing to spend a large amount of money. Um, it's one of those your mileage may vary type things. Uh, personally for me, if you're buying like a playset, that's not really a lot considering how many people are willing to spend a lot more money. Um, but if you're nice, if you're reasonable, if you, you know, you didn't come off, if you didn't offer something unreasonable, I will probably be willing to knock off a small percentage off your total purchase. So it's again, one of those, your mileage may varies. It really depends. You have to kind of feel them out and depending on the type of relationship you have with them, they may or may not be willing to work with you. If I have a cabal coffer and this is like, this happened this week. And if I have a cabal coffers on the shelf for $18, 
and someone offers me 15, I'm going to say no because we sell them right away. But if I have a food chain at 35 and someone offers me 30, that's a card that I don't move very fast. And I'll say, yeah, you can have it for 20% off. Yeah, Ed, check the price of Caval Coffers. It's like over $20 on TCG for any copy. So 18 that's was it. already pretty generous. Holy crap, that's insane. Goes yeah, that's one of them breaking ball prices. picks. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's, that, uh, that's like... You want to you want to hear how insane that is? I bought three foil copies of Cabal Coffers for less than twenty dollars each at at Vegas, and that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, the card is impossible to keep in stock. We have at least five people every week ask me about it, and when I get a place at end, and someone's like, "Hey, will you take 15? It's like, "No." But if I have a food chain that's been sitting on the case for what, like, three months now, and someone offers me twenty percent less, yeah. Like most shops just want your money. We don't give a shit about like, it, it's all about turnover, man. Like, I don't think shops understand this enough. If you're making an insane profit margin, but you're only selling that card once a year when you could be making less of a percentage, but you're selling that card six to 10 times a year, I'd rather have the smaller profit margin and sell it six to 10 times a year. So that's just my personal opinion. We try to keep cards flowing as fast as possible off the case. So it's just it's just something to keep in mind. Now, if the shop doesn't do magic, buy all their stuff that's not priced right and then make offers on the stuff that may be not correct. Be like, hey, I'm going to drop $1,000. This will pay your bills for a week or whatever. If it's like a small hole in the ground shop that doesn't keep track of their prices, they'll probably work something out with you. Um, but if it's like another card that you notice has been sitting there on the shelf for a long time, if you keep going back to that shop, yeah, feel them out. It doesn't hurt to like start by offering 10% or 20% less, and they say no, and then you go to 15%, they might say yes. If you go to 10%, they'll probably take it. I think it just really depends on how how uh, hard the shop is for money, though at the same time, I found that shops that are about to go under refuse to budge on prices, which explains why they're going under. So it's just something to keep in mind. But these are all very good questions this week, guys. You should keep it up. I really enjoy uh, the paragraph-long questions because it, it shows that you've really thought out your questions instead of just like hurriedly typing a sentence as Jim informs me that the lowest cabal coffers on TCG is 19. So I guess I should be updating that price to 20, but yeah, that card's impossible to keep in stock. I, I was but just same assuming with the that you were not counting the Japanese intermittent copy, which is only 16. Yeah, no, there, there is quite literally as of today, there are people selling Japanese copies of cabal coffers on the non-English page for $7. Because they probably played, paid nothing at Kyoto. So if you want those cheap Japanese copies, get on that Facebook page and buy them. You guys ready to get into the pick of the week? Yep, and Ed's going to go first because he's so prepared, right? I am ready. It's I time have, like, for like... the pick of the week. Thank you very much. Man, I did not miss that. <laughs> um. So I'll, I'll just kind of toss out two that are like kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, mainly because I fell asleep last week when the cast started. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, based on what we talked about standard, like there's just lots of very good specs right now. A lot of them are just super cheap. Uh, it's one of those like who knows how good they'll be, mainly because like it, just because they don't see play now, that's usually the nature of the format being oppressive to that particular card or that particular archetype in some uh, 
again, who like who knows what that'll look like. Uh, so for a standard card, if you're willing to go into it, I have mentioned this before. Um, this is a vital force. It's uh, it's a very very cheap planeswalker. Like so many planeswalkers are just very very cheap and standard right now. Um, much casual appeal it has is not always clear. It doesn't seem like as most casual uh appeal. So there's probably a ceiling on how much demand there will be on this card. That being said, it's a very good mid range. It's a very good grindy card. Um, Wizards has kind of set up formats in the like past years. It seems like once a format kind of gets solved, uh, you naturally tend towards a, like a very mid range centric format, mainly because it's hard to have a blisteringly fast deck control decks mainly because the answers aren't that great and like having like hyper efficient threats have generally been kind of unfun so they haven't been great either so generally like the majority of like the power cards in a format kind of fall in the mid-range category um i've been pretty high on like the mythics uh in standard that are uh that are going to stick around mainly because the law are so cheap uh there's plenty uh, without going into a huge discussion about each of them, like I've mentioned, Virto Skitterhulk before. It's been it's sub five dollars. Heart of Kieran is also kind of adds all time low. Mardu Vehicles is a, another deck that kind of stays largely intact for the rotation. Tesseract the Schemer is also kind of in a weird like it's probably I doubt, I think Tesseract Schemer might be a little bit too bad, but it's possible that it does see play at some point. Uh, these are a lot of the things that it's. Just get a place that it costs you nothing. If you want to buy like 10 copies to spec on it, again, it's not really going to cost you anything either. I think mainly because the nature of them being mythics, they've kind of hit the floor, it feels like. They can't really get much lower than they already are. So if you do want to cash out, you really aren't going to lose very much. I think like Nissa, like Vital Force, that's kind of the forerunner in terms of like what a good mythic should be. We have seen uh, Nissa World Waker kind of have a very similar effect on that card saw a ton of standard play as kind of one of the control decks and have an edge up in the mirror. Uh, the other one I would pick would be uh, Masterpiece uh, Counterspell, where we have seen the qualities on some of these invocations start to creep down. A lot of the Kaladesh inventions already had their price spike. Invocations are probably next once Ixlon comes out and there's no more product being open for Amakara Hour Devastation. Um, it's starting to pick up, starting to pick them up now. It's probably going to be good. Um, counter spell is one of the most played cards in EDH uh, for blue base decks. It's just it's like a very good catch all. Um, uh, obviously, people have mixed uh, feelings about invocations, but um, if you do want to pick it up, it's like forty dollars. If you only need one, I'll just kind of get out of the way. Mainly because if it does get bought out, I I easily see it being like an eighty to hundred dollar card. And this card's already seventy dollars in Japan. Yeah, so it's not rational, but there's a, there's a lot of reasons for like the invocation type cards to go up. Probably like a little bit of ways away from that. A lot of the Kaladesh spikes uh, for inventions didn't happen until about a month ago. So if we kind of if we kind of transit that over like beginning of October November, see the inv the invocation start to dry up. Maybe even sooner if people start to catch on that. Oh wow! There's not really that many copies of this one particular card out there. It's very very easy for some of these people to do buyouts, and if you if you're willing to drop like you know a thousand dollars, you can snap up every copy of some of these cards on the market. So the people who are willing to drop that kind of money and make a good investment. So if you just want it, get out get out of the way. It's one of those things to keep an eye out on, especially as the supplies on some of them do start to dwindle and TG players start to do whatever. 
Great point. Jim, what's up with you? So I'm big on pretty much all the commander decks. Like, I really don't like sealed product. I think it's usually a losing proposition, but so many of these cards in these new commander decks are things that just like I don't ever see getting reprinted uh, unless they do another commander anthologies, which is probably many, many months away. Um, but basically all of the decks, the new cards are too good, and I think that they're going to see a lot more play in a lot of other decks outside of the ones that they started out in. And I did some research on the cards that are coming out in Ixalan uh, from the Spoil Rare Sheet that we've seen, and there are a lot more tribal-based cards uh, that will reinvigorate people if they were not already uh, on any of the cards that are already in this in this deck. Like, for example, Edgar Mark Markov is the he will be the premier vampire commander. It's the only one. It's the only gold one that has all of the colors. There's a bunch of new white vampires that are coming out in that next set. There's just no reason for them to to be this cheap. If you can get them at MSRP, I think that it'll look a lot like the Commander 2016 decks. People were slow to pick them up. They really they were like, "Nah, this is not really my thing." And then they realized that a lot of the cards in there had a lot of applications outside of that, like uh, the the land that's in all of them, Path of Ancestry. I think is going to be significantly more expensive than Command Tower, despite coming to play tapped because. It's just it's just a free scry on all of your commander casts in addition to everything else that it does. Good point. I definitely think uh, there's going to be some hype for the commander decks, especially after what happened with uh, last year's stuff. So it's uh, definitely good to keep an eye on. Um, before I choose my pick, did it, can anyone tell me besides Ed, because he knows these things, what Foil Rest in Peace is going for? Did they get reprinted? No, right? Copies are eight bucks. What do you uh, think a foil's at? Forty. No, it's at twenty-five right now, but I think this could easily be a thirty to thirty-five dollar card in like a year. So if you see these in binders, this is definitely something that I that I would recommend picking up. Uh, my pick this week. Yeah, my pick that the multiplier of three for a card that sees a ton of play in modern and legacy. I don't know really about EDH. This doesn't seem like a super good EDH card, but uh, yeah. It's only um, for jerks to try to helm combo people. Yeah. I only play that in Vintage, so two-card Monty for the win. Um, my pick of the week is super cliche, but just based off of like talking with people while I was scrambling to sell power this weekend, I'm going to go with an unlimited copy of Black Lotus. Uh talking with like some of the vendors they're super bearish on them right now and bios keep going up uh i mean there's always a greater fool you have to keep that in mind when you're paying this much for a piece of cardboard but demand is super strong in my area right now and i think this card will keep going up by the end of the year um two, two like three years ago maybe you could get a lotus strike a thousand bucks maybe two thousand right before the fetches spiked in modern now they're closer to like 3,000. I think uh, by 2018, like in the summer, we're going to see $4,000 Lotuses. So this is just uh, me going out on a limb and saying that they keep drying up. This is the most iconic card of all time, and it's free money as long as the bubble doesn't burst, which there very well could be a bubble, which is something you need to keep in mind, but I really like this card going up in the next year. So flame me all you want. That's the card I'm going with.
So I, I'm not going to go too deep in this since I'm tired at this point and my Mac, my Mac is going to die. But, but I, I think the reason, like, if there's if you're trying to rationalize this trend, there actually is rationalization to it. It's not just, like, blah, 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 reserve list, blah, blah, old cards game more expensive. It's – we've seen this happen before. The last time it happened was with Richmond in uh, 2013. That was kind of, the like, the massive boon for modern um, proportions. Um Star City recently raised the buy list on uh, on dual ends. Um, every vendor has raised it up accordingly. In GP Minneapolis last weekend, Channel Fireball was paying three hundred and fifty dollars on near mint underground seas, and I want to say three hundred dollars on near mint volcanics, which is like fifty dollars above what Star City is actually paying. Yep. And as such, like like we have seen duels get more expensive, and now that um, I noticed that in Birmingham this weekend, there are actually a lot of people looking to buy duels, like, more so than a normal amount. Birmingham might be kind of a corner case because Birmingham does actually have a Legacy Grand Prix next year. Uh, Birmingham is one of the locations for the Legacy Standard Grand Prix Double Weekend. So that might be kind of what's driving people to start buying duels now. But if we see duels get more expensive, RS get more expensive because people who are holding on to a lot of duels, they can easily make the conversion from oh, if I, you know, like, I go to Channel Firewall, I start trading in, you know, like, my place out of Underground Seas, that's $1,400 on buy lists. If you look at their, if they have a bump on top, which they don't for for hot list cards, but that's $1,400, I could probably put towards pieces of power or put towards a Lotus or something. So as such, because duels are more expensive, power naturally has to go up to kind of keep the same proportion because it doesn't really make sense for duels to be proportionately higher compared to uh, power, right? The last time we saw it was with modern. When modern staples went up, that's what that's what caused the price of duels to go up, which in turn caused the price of power to go up. And that was because you had scaling tarns that were like a hundred dollars. Misty Rainforest were a hundred dollars. People took the opportunity who had spec on them, who went deep on them. They could easily trade those into sets of duels, and once they had those in place, they could trade those into sets of power. And as such, all those prices like shifted up accordingly, mainly because it doesn't really make sense for duels to be on the same level as power and fetch lands to be on the same level as duels. So Jeremy has a very valid point. Is loaded are like a piece of power going to get more expensive? It's hard to tell mainly because they're kind of in a much narrower market compared to something like duels. But I do think like, like it, it's just a card that does continue to get rare over time. You do see a lot of power kind of swap hands between the same people, but each, because each person is trying to make money per transaction, cost of it slowly up, like up slowly over time. Um, that's just something to keep an eye on, especially if it's not something you watch for, but you do want like a piece or two to kind of slowly buy your way into vintage or fill out your vintage deck. Things that sooner rather than later is probably advised here. Well, thank you for your insight. Where can we find you guys if we want to get in contact with you? My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me writing for quiet speculation on the insider side every week and you can find me on gathering magic every other week uh edward Wynn. uh i'm with crowen's game store you can find me on twitter at edwin 13 uh i will be in gen con this week on thursday gp denver on friday saturday sunday uh indy next week most likely i might be in mets for european viewers out there out to mike who stopped by at the booth in GP Minneapolis last week. Meant to give him a shout out then, but again, I fell asleep. So, sorry, Mike. Thank you for the feedback. You're a cool guy. Our podcast.
Um, shout out to Ed's internet for being almost as bad as he is when it comes to showing up on time. Uh, congrats on getting some sleep, buddy. You've you've definitely earned it after all this travel. Uh, I changed my Twitter handle to something more professional. I'm getting interviewed by the school newspaper about like this uh, charity event we're doing, and Zemet sells magic didn't really roll off the tongue. It doesn't sound professional. So uh, I changed it to at Missouri MTG. Uh, so that's where you can find me. It rings a little better. The great state of Missouri. Uh, you can find me at Gen Con uh, this weekend. I'll be there for a couple days and then I got to run back to FNM to buy cards. I'm a cardboard monkey just like Ed in the end it appears. Thanks for listening to uh, Cartel Aristocrats cast number 66. We'll have Shoe Shiner Travis on the cast back next week as long as he doesn't come up with another bad excuse to dodge the cast. And as always, we thank everyone for tuning in live on our, our live YouTube chat as well as submitting questions to our Twitter at cartel underscore finance. Thanks again, guys, and have a good week, and we hope to make you some money next week. Bye.